Go ahead and turn into your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I'd like to ask a pretty simple question. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. When I say the term flannel graph, if that means anything, do you raise your hand? Okay. Awesome. So, uh, I guess a quick little uh, education on what flannel graph is. Um, growing up in church on Sunday, on Sunday morning in Sunday school, this was how I learned a lot, or pretty much all of the, the Bible stories. Now, just to give you a heads up, I'll probably use that term Bible stories a lot as we kind of go through. I don't really like that term Bible stories um, because it, it almost sounds like, you know, it's not real. You're just telling a story, right? But we know that these are real, but that's kind of just how the Sunday school Bible stories, that's how this kind of uh, comes about. So basically the Sunday school Bible stories, uh, you know, creation, Jonah, Noah's Ark, Jesus' miracles. We're going to look at some of that this morning. It was taught on flannel graph. So flannel graph is just a big felt board. Sometimes they had fancy backgrounds, sometimes not. But then you had these little pieces of paper of people, Jesus, you know, Bible, um, people in the Bible, whatever it might be, to tell the story, and it just stuck on the board, and that's how you learned it. Um, this is one of those passages that when I get to or when I read or hear about it, I think of flannel graph, because I have a, a pretty vivid uh, memory of seeing this story on the board on the flannel graph. Um, those of you who knew what I, said, what I meant when I said flannel graph might have kind of that same image coming in your mind. If you don't remember specifically, you could probably imagine what that flannel graph would have looked like. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Um, and this story, uh, for those who, if, if you're aware, uh, awesome. If not, this story is it's an amazing story. I happened to be reading this a couple weeks ago. Um, and just reading through it is, is so amazing how, how deep this passage is, how much Jesus does and reveals of himself in just this short passage here that we're going to be reading this morning. But when I think about these flannel graph Bible stories, these Sunday school stories, um, I think a lot of times, at least for me, when I first hear somebody start talking about it or, you know, say, turn to this passage and I see what it is, it can be easy to kind of check out, be like, I know that one. I've seen it. I've heard it a hundred times. I've seen it on the board. Whatever, I can kind of almost kind of check out because I know. And then, you know, also, if, if you've been in church for a while, you can maybe even start thinking, okay, I think the preacher is going to go here with this. You know, I think he's going to talk about this. But there's so many things that go into a, a lot of these Sunday school stories that don't get really covered on the flanograph. So an example of that in particular would be Jonah, right? As I got older and, and was reading more in Jonah, I get to the part where he's angry and upset at God because he didn't punish Nineveh. I don't really remember that part on the flannel graph. You know, I remember the boat. I remember the fish, all that kind of stuff. But after the fact, Jonah was angry at God because he did not punish the people of Nineveh. But as you read through that story, Jonah knows that if they repent, he, he says, I know if they repent that you're going to forgive them. You're going to spare them. You're going to show mercy on them. And God did that. God did what he knew he, he, knew he was going to do. And Jonah was still upset just because he looked and he saw these people are evil, these people are horrible, they deserve to be punished. That's part of the story that you don't really, you know, kind of see or hear in, in Sunday school. Um, and this story in particular in Mark chapter 2 that we're going to read is where Jesus heals a paralytic man that is lowered through the roof of the house. 
Okay. Now, I think this one, um, obviously being one of Jesus' miracles, is, is a great story to, uh, a great passage to read from and, and share with uh, kids growing up in the church. But I think it also plays really well on the flannel graph, right? You have this picture of this guy being lowered through the ceiling on this, you know, makeshift cot with ropes. Guys are lowering him down through the roof uh, to be healed by Jesus. But as we read through this, we're going to see a couple different things. First of all, once we read through the passage, we're going to see, I'm going to kind of summarize what Jesus does in this passage, what he uh, really reveals about himself. But the focus that I want to really, uh, really look in on and really dive in on is the four men that brought their friend to Jesus and see how we can maybe model ourselves after them, how we can look at some different characteristics that they had and maybe kind of look at ourselves. Do I have these kind of characteristics? Because we are all called as followers of Christ to bring people to Jesus. So we are going to be able to look at these four men as an example to kind of model after when it comes to how we bring people to Jesus. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to read Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 12 verses in that passage. It says there, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the, uh, the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. there those guys are always there, right? We see Jesus do something amazing, and then it says, but these guys were here, and they, threw, they had a fuss. Um, but uh, there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But, they may, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you once again for bringing us together and just the amazing time of worship that we've had and just being able to come together and encourage each other and, and pray for each other, God. And I just pray that as we go throughout this, the remainder of the service, as we go into your word, that you would uh, speak through me, that it would be your words and not mine, that I, I would be able to step aside and just allow you and your word to speak through. And I just pray that as we go throughout this passage, that we can look at these four men who brought their friend to Jesus, that we can see uh, where their heart was, and, and we can model ourselves after them as we bring people to Jesus. So God, I just pray that you just continue to uh, bless the remainder of the time that we have together. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have these four men. They bring their friend to Jesus. But as I said, before we get into that, we're going to look and see a little bit about what Jesus did in this passage, what he revealed about himself, and we're going to go from there. So first, as we go through this passage, we see Jesus forgives sin. And I don't want to just blow right by that because that is amazing, Jesus forgiving sin. And we're going to touch on a little bit later of exactly how amazing that is and how that meets our greatest need. But we see here that Jesus, he, he forgives this man of his sin. 
Following that, those scribes that are standing by, those religious leaders, they start, they're kind of taken aback. They're offended that Jesus would say that this guy, to this guy that his sins are forgiven. They start thinking, and, and why would he say that? Only God can forgive sins. They're basically, you know, telling themselves that this is blasphemy. And in doing that, we don't see that they're saying this out loud. They're reasoning within, um, within themselves. But Jesus knows their minds. He knows their hearts. And he reveals that to everybody there by looking at them. Why are you thinking this? Why, why do you think that this is blasphemy? Because I say that I forgave this man of his sins. And so he's revealing, again, another thing that he has power over. Okay? He has dominion and power over everything, over all of creation. He is, he is God. He is the Son of God. And he is showing his power by showing them that he knows their hearts and he knows their minds. And then, obviously, we see him after that fact. We see him heal this man. Uh, and, and tells him to get up and walk. And then finally, I want to draw attention to where he says in verse 10, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. When Jesus says Son of Man here, he's making a messianic claim. If you want to write down real quick, we're not going to turn there. If you want to write down, uh, he's referring back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 is where we see that term Son of Man being used. Uh, and he is, by saying son of man, that is a, a messianic title that also has no kind of political ties whatsoever. Okay, so it's really cool how he kind of does that and uses that specific messianic title of saying, listen, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm, I'm just on God's side. I'm here to speak truth and, and to preach the truth. And he's revealing to them that he is the Messiah. Okay, so the Jews that are here that have been taught about the Messiah as they've been growing up, when he says that term, that name, that title, Son of Man, they know immediately, okay, he's saying that he is the Messiah. And we see in everything that he does in this passage also kind of points to that fact, kind of backs up his claim of being the Messiah, forgiving the man of his sins, healing him, knowing the hearts and the minds of the, the religious leaders. And so that's what I mean by just in these 12 verses, we see Jesus do so much as far as revealing the power of God that he has, but also by making a claim that he is the Messiah that they have been looking for. So that right alone by itself in this passage would be enough to kind of focus on and really dive deep on of, of all that Jesus does in this passage because it's so amazing what he does in just a short uh, 12 verses. But as I mentioned, we're going to dive deeper into these four men that bring their friend to Jesus and kind of look at some characteristics that they have and how we can kind of apply it to ourselves when it comes to us sharing the gospel with people, take, bringing people to Jesus. And in studying this, I came along... Uh, uh, some commentary by Warren Worsby, and he says that these four men, that they displayed four kind of characteristics uh, that we ought to display, that we ought to have as fishers of men. So I'm going to read those off real quick for you. Um, the first one is that they were deeply concerned about their friend and wanted to see him helped. Okay, so when it comes to us being fishers of men, sharing the gospel with people, bringing people to Jesus, that's kind of where it starts. If I'm going to share the gospel with people, I, it's because I, have, I am concerned about them. I want to see them helped. I want to see their needs met. And that's how these four men felt about their friend. They were very concerned about him, and they wanted to see him helped. So then it kind of goes from there. How, who's going to help them? How are we going to get him help? So this is the second thing that they have that we ought to display as, as fishers of men is that they had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. Okay, They had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. Now, real quick before we go on, I uh, forgot to mention this earlier. If you'd like to follow along, we do have notes in the app. You can get that at the, in the App Store in North Goodland, B.C. Um, 
these four things are not in the notes. If you'd like these, you can talk to me uh, after I can give you these as well. Um, but they had faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet his need. And we're going to get into a little bit more deeply as to why they had this faith. But if we were to go back through Mark, leading up to Mark chapter 2, Jesus is already doing a bunch of other amazing things. He healed a woman of fever. Uh, he healed a leper. He cast a demon out. And that's why when we get to here and we see that he entered a Capernaum and he was in a house, word spread immediately, hey, Jesus is over here. And immediately the place was filled. They were overflowing. That's why we see there, there wasn't even room around the door. When these guys bring their buddy to come see Jesus, they couldn't even get close enough. They couldn't even get inside. That's how many people came because of all that Jesus had done just in that we read in the book of Mark leading up to this point. So Jesus had this huge crowd that's following him because of this. And the, the reputation that they had heard about Jesus, what they knew about Jesus, they had faith to believe that he could and would meet their friend's need. Thirdly, they did not simply pray about it, but they put some feet to their prayers and they did not permit the difficult circumstances to discourage them. Now, that phrase, simply pray about it. Don't be confused by what that means. Um, we've already been able to rejoice this morning of seeing how God is able to answer prayers. So when I say, and, I, and you hear that term, simply pray about it, that means don't just pray about it, but don't let that make you think that praying, if I pray for somebody, I'm not doing all that much for them. Praying is the greatest thing that we can do. Praying is our greatest tool that we have as followers of Christ. We pray, we go into his word. That's how we communicate with him each and every day. Okay, recently we had a men's Bible study where we, we talked about the battle plan for prayer. Being prepared to go forward, having a, a battle plan set in place of this is how I'm going to, to pray in my life. I'm going to set up so I pray regularly. That way when things happen to come up out of nowhere, my instant reaction is to go to God in prayer. So when that, that term, simply pray about it, don't, be, don't get confused with that meaning that, well, yeah, prayer is just a part of it, and it, but it's not that big of a part. Prayer is the most important thing. But they also weren't apathetic, if you want to think of it that way. They weren't apathetic in their prayer. They didn't just pray, say, well, God, I gave it to you. I'm going to sit back and watch. Okay? They, they put feet to their prayers. They, they put it into action. They prayed that God would do this. They prayed that Jesus would, would, would heal their, their friend. And they, by taking him there, they showed that they believed what they were praying. All right. So they didn't just, they didn't simply pray about it. They put some feet to their prayers and they did not permit the difficult circumstances to discourage them. And then number four, they worked together and dared to do something different. And Jesus rewarded their efforts. I would say that definitely tearing somebody's roof off and lowering somebody through the roof is definitely something different. Um, <clears throat> And we don't see in the passage here how the homeowner felt about that. Can't imagine he was too thrilled. Um, but then after the, after the fact of, you know, Jesus doing all these amazing things, they were probably like, okay, I can let that one slide. But they were willing to do something different. So how can we look at the example that these men set and apply it to our own efforts when it comes to bringing people to Jesus? So first of all, <clears throat> and if you're following along in the notes, the first point that we're going to make and focus on is that we need to have faith in the power of Jesus and his word. We need to have faith in the power of Jesus and his word. And we see that in verses 1 through 3. Again, this comes after Jesus casting out a demon. He heals a woman who's sick of a fever. He heals a leper. And now he comes here. And so because of this, that's why this crowd is following him everywhere that he goes. These people... And we're going to, uh, as, as we go throughout here, we're going to see exactly why it is that they came to see Jesus. We're going to touch on it uh, even more as we go on. But why did they come to see Jesus? 
Okay, They came to see him because of what he had done, what they knew that he had done. Some of them that came there, they may have even been kind of following him around, right? Almost like, like uh, people, fans of a band or, or an art, a musical artist, they'll kind of follow them around on a tour. There might even be some of those people who are following Jesus around, like, I got to see what he does next. He's so amazing, um, and, and, and also for his teaching, right? It's, it's so interesting how, as we read throughout the Gospels, we see all these people following Jesus around, and there's probably a lot of them that are, are there to, to see the miracles, right? I want to see this amazing thing happen. But Jesus didn't come to earth just to do miracles. He came to teach the, the truth of the Gospel and to die on the cross for us, that being the gospel. And so people are coming to see these things. And then while they're there, Jesus uh, shares the truth of the gospel. He, he talks about forgiveness. We even see that here in this passage. But these people, they came because they knew what Jesus was capable of. Okay, so remember what Jesus has done in your life. Okay, when we're thinking about having faith and power of Jesus and his word, remember what he has done in your own life. When it comes to sharing the gospel with people, how am I going to do that? You know, I work with uh, the students, and, and this isn't just a, a question or a thought that just the students have. I think probably all of us uh, at some point in our life, as, as we're sharing the gospel or having the Spirit tell us, hey, you got to go talk to that person, share me with that person. Uh, I think a lot of times we might think to ourselves, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. Um, and, and sometimes we don't really realize all that we do know about the Bible. And I think a lot of times we put extra pressure on ourselves. Maybe we think, maybe you're just not great with memorization. Maybe I, I know that the Bible says this. I know I've read it in there before and I've, I've read it on the page in front of me. I just can't remember where it's at. So if they have a question and I have to show them, I don't know where to turn. Um, but one thing that I always find the easiest way to share the gospel with somebody is to start by just sharing your story with them. Share how Jesus has affected your life. Share how what your life was like before him or what, and what your life is with like with Jesus. Now, if you're like me, I was saved at a young age. For a long time, I was kind of thinking like, I don't have much to share about like my life before I was six, right? I wasn't dealing with all kinds of crazy things. And you hear people with uh, these amazing testimonies of how they, you know, were saved when they were 30 years old or whatever it might be. And they went through all these different things in their life. And like I said, I was, I was six. So before then, like, you know, I'm not even picking out my own clothes at that point. So how am I going to have an effective testimony by talking about what my life was like before Jesus? But really what you can kind of do and what I've learned as, as I've gotten older is that you can tell people what your life would be like without Jesus. So what do I mean by that? We know that in Jesus, obviously we have our salvation, but also in Jesus we have ultimate joy, ultimate happiness, Nothing that this world can offer. Whatever kind of happiness, joy that this world offers is all temporary. So for me, uh, most of you know that I am really big into sports. Watching sports, playing sports, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times, it doesn't even have to be a popular one. Uh, if, if something big is on the line, if it's like win or go home, I'll watch it. I might not know exactly what's going on, but I'll watch it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really big into sports. Now, if I relied on sports and watching sports and the happiness that comes from that to keep me happy and to keep me joyful all the time, I would be kind of miserable, all right? A lot of us here, you know, born and raised in Michigan, our teams aren't always great. I'm a lifelong Lions fan. If I was relying on my sports teams and their success for my happiness, I would be pretty miserable. But thankfully, 
Jesus is not that. Jesus is always faithful. He's always the same. The joy that comes from him is everlasting. So I'm able to tell people if I, this is where I would, if I didn't have Jesus, I would have to try to find happiness. This is probably where I would try to find happiness most of the time. The majority of the time, I would try and find it over here. And people would watch me doing that and be like, you're not very smart if you're trying to find happiness over here. It's always going to fall apart. It's never going to be the same. There's always inconsistencies. And so now I'm able to say my life would be pretty hopeless without Jesus. But now with Jesus, this is all I have in him. I have everything that I need just in him. It doesn't matter how my teams do. It doesn't matter uh, whatever it is. It doesn't matter how my finances are. Whatever it is that we might try and find happiness is, or find happiness in, it doesn't matter the state of those things. If we have Jesus, we have all that we need. So that's what I mean by share your story. We've all experienced what Jesus has done in our life with our salvation, but even apart from that. As we've gone through difficult times. We've faced hard circumstances. And as we were going through it, it seemed impossible to get through the other side. It seemed there's no way out of this difficult circumstance. But we continued to, to, to look to God. And then now we can kind of look back on those things and say, oh, he was in control every step of the way. Now I can see why this happened and this happened. And now it makes sense to me. As we're going through it, it doesn't make sense. Maybe even now it doesn't make sense as to why we had to go through it that way. But we can see where we are now because of it, how God grew us in that, how God grew, God grew our faith in him through those circumstances. So sharing our story and, and remembering our own story of what Jesus has done in our life is not only going to be beneficial to us. Because when we do go through those difficult times, we can remind ourselves, hey, we went through, I went through this right here and God got me through that. He's going to get me through this. But we can also do that by sharing our story with those that we're sharing the gospel with. By starting off by just saying, hey, listen, this is why I want to share this with you. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. Just like these guys were concerned about their friend and wanted to see him helped. I've accepted the gift of salvation. I understand the truth of the gospel. And if I, if I truly believe the truth of the gospel, I should want to see everybody come to know Christ. Because I know what happens to those people if they don't come to know Christ. So that's, it, it can really just be as simple as that by starting by sharing your own story. And that, that in itself is having faith, faith and power in what Jesus and his word. Secondly, trust in the power of his word. Okay? We already talked about, remember what Jesus has done in our life, but trust in the power of Jesus' word. Now, there's all kinds of great witnessing tools, discipleship programs, all different kinds of things that are very helpful. We were just talking this morning about word of life. We use word of life as a, a ministry tool to be able to minister to young people. But these things, these, these tools, witnessing tools, uh, programs, whatever it is, are great. But we need to be careful to not let them become a substitute for the word of God. Really just something to help us, you know, maybe get better at sharing the gospel, whatever it is. It's just something that helps us. But as long, they need to be rooted in the word of God. They need to be founded on the word of God and not substituting the word of God. I, I can't now take my Bible and put it aside and be like, well, I have this tool over here. I'm going to use this only. Remember that it, it all comes back to the word of God, trusting in the power of his word. His word is all that we need when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. We don't need to do anything to kind of sweeten the gospel. We don't need to do anything to kind of, you know, spice it up, make it more enticing. Um, God's word is all that we need. Hebrews 4, chapter, chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, divide, the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right there, Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is powerful to cut into us. Okay, It cuts us deep. We don't need to do anything to convince people. 
Okay, as I said, we don't need to do anything to sweeten it. We, we might say, I'd like to share the gospel, but I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody by doing it. First of all, we need to understand that the, go- the message of the gospel in and of itself is going to offend people. However, we, we deliver it. Because what is the gospel? The gospel first starts off with saying that you are a sinner. That's going to offend people. People don't like being told that what they're doing is wrong, that they shouldn't be doing these things that they're doing. And then you go beyond that. Because you are a sinner, you don't meet God's standard of perfection. The only way that you can do that is through what Jesus did on the cross. So now I have to admit that I'm wrong and I can't do what I want to do. Secondly, I have to admit that I need help from somebody else. Okay, a lot of times we really struggle with having to need or use the help of somebody else, that we need somebody's, we need to be dependent on them. But that's the case with salvation. In order for us to, to meet that standard because of our sin, we need Jesus. And there's no substitute for that. And that right there in and of itself, that message is going to be offensive to people. People are going to be kind of hurt by that. Well, who are you to say that I'm wrong in doing this? Uh, who are you to say that I need Jesus? Why do I need him? That's going to offend people. So, and again, this whole idea of convincing people, that's not what we're called to do. And we're going to get more deep, uh, dive deeper into that. But we're not called to convince people of the gospel. We're not called to save them. We're just called to share the message and understand that that is going to offend some people. But again, thinking back to that, that concern that we should have for people. If you truly believe the truth of the gospel and what it means if you die without accepting the gift of salvation, then that thought of what awaits that person without Jesus, that should overpower any concern that we have about offending them. Okay. So the takeaway for this is that the first thing that we need to remember when bringing people to Jesus is that, again, we don't save the people. We just need to do anything to remember and trust in the power of what Jesus has done, trust in the power of him and his word. Again, these people, they, they didn't come to this person's house. They didn't come all the way to from wherever they were. There were probably some people from around the corner, but who knows? We don't see how far some people traveled. They didn't come here because they had the newest, you know, program. They didn't come because they had, you know, the best worship. They came because of Jesus. Jesus is all that we need in our lives. Jesus is all we need when it comes to bringing the gospel to people. We don't have to try to, you know, make it fancy to to kind of draw people in. Just trust in the power of Jesus and, and his word. So, again, we do not need to try to help Jesus. If we need to try to help Jesus, we wouldn't need him, right? So they trusted that Jesus, these men, they trusted that Jesus was all that their friend needed and nothing else. So that's the, that's the first thing that we need to remember, just trusting in the power of Jesus and his word. Secondly, we should not let obstacles stop us or slow us down. As we read in this passage, we read in uh, verses 4 and 5 that these four men, they brought their friend and they didn't turn around and go home when they saw that they couldn't get in. Okay, again, we don't know how far these guys traveled. Um, but when they got there, it would have been kind of crazy if they got there and be like, and, and you're the friend. If you're the friend, you're being carried by these guys. Like, hey, we're going to take you. Jesus is going to heal you. We believe that he's going to do that. We want to get you this help. And then you get there, and it's all crowded. People coming out the door, you can't even get in. They're like, sorry, man, we, we can't get, we'll, we'll maybe come back another day. I don't know what to tell you. We don't see that, right? They, they're like, they see this, we're like, all right, we, we need to get him in. Because that concern that they had for their friend didn't change just because an obstacle got in the way. His need for having that healing, his need for Jesus, didn't change just because those obstacles got in the way. So what does this mean? What are these obstacles? How might these obstacles appear when we're sharing the gospel with people, when we're bringing people to Jesus? Well, sometimes it might mean that we have to go out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to go out of our comfort zone. So for you, you know what your comfort zone is. You know where you feel the best. You feel the safest. 
we're going to have to go outside of that in order to share the gospel with people. For me, teaching, getting up in front of people, talking is not really my comfort zone. It, it never was. And, you know, 15 years ago, I would have thought that not something that I would ever do. Um, but that's something that God called me to do. And when I realize that it's not me doing it, I just have to allow him to work through me. That's how I'm able to go out of my comfort zone. So this idea of not letting obstacles stop you, again, it goes back to trusting the power of Jesus. Because we as followers of Christ, as we go and share, people, or share Jesus with people, as we bring people to Jesus, we're going to face these obstacles and we remember, I'm not doing this on my own power. I'm not doing this in my own ability. I'm doing this because God has called me to do it and I'm doing it with his power working through me. So we may have to go out of our comfort zone. It's not going to be easy to witness to people. In fact, most of the time it's probably going to be uncomfortable witnessing to people. Whether it's strangers, your friends, your family. Um, I think family could probably be the most difficult people to share the gospel with. Um, or your really close friends. Why? Because they know you better than anybody else. So if I'm sharing the gospel with them and saying that, and, I, and I'm talking about what my life was like before or without Jesus and what my life would be like, or what my life is like with Jesus, they might say, well, I know you did this just last week. You're not perfect. And so I know what you were like before and after. I don't see much difference. Why would I need this? And so in that, in that instance, with that in mind, it might be easier to kind of share with the perfect stranger because you can kind of convince yourself I'm never going to have to see this person again. Um, has anybody ever been around somebody or knows somebody who just seems like a natural uh, evangelizer, basically, if you want to call it? Anybody ever been around somebody who just, like, for whatever reason, that's, like, their main number one gift? And almost to the point where you're kind of uncomfortable. You're around them, and wherever you are with them, whether it's in line at the grocery store, and they just start talking to somebody, they're like, dude, like, let's just get the food and get out of here. Why do we got to start this right now? But those people are awesome because they, it, it's almost like, and I think some of the best actual people to share the gospel are young people, children, because they, they can be very trusting, right? As we get older, we start doubting people. We start looking and be like, oh, what's his deal? Like, why is he, what's his motive behind this? But kids, you tell them, you're a sinner. Jesus died for you and you need Jesus. They're just going to be like, all right, cool. And we have to tell people, okay, cool, I'll tell this person. And they just go do it. It, it, it can be so encouraging and um, also pretty humbling to see that happen. But these people who are so good at that, where you might even feel uncomfortable at times, they're just like that. That's what it makes me think of. It's just somebody who's just like a, a big grown-up kid who just, this is the truth. We're supposed to share it. Let's just share it. Why would, why would we not share it? Um, but a lot, again, we start overthinking things. We start complicating things. Am I going to say it right? Am I going to say it wrong? Whatever it might be. So it's not always going to be easy to share the gospel. In fact, it's going to be hard a lot of times because Satan is going to do whatever it takes to slow us down and stop us from advancing the gospel, whatever that means. We know what our comfort zone is. We know what might stop us in that same way. Satan knows what tempts us most. He knows how to entice us. Right? He knows that I'm not going to fall for this temptation because this doesn't really tempt me at all. But this over here, this is something I really kind of struggle with. So he's going to try and throw things in our way. And so if you're somebody who's not sure about what words you're going to say, he might try and tempt you and make you convince you to think that, oh, you're just going to stumble over your words. You're going to mess this whole thing up. He's not going to understand you. And, and you start thinking these things, be like, I'm going to let the next guy kind of take care of it. Whoever comes along, they can kind of share the gospel. So it's important to remember that these obstacles might be going out of our comfort zone. But again, remembering that we don't have to do this on our own. Also, another obstacle that could be 
or that we could face would just be discouragement. These guys, when they took their friend, they could have seen that and they could have been so bummed out. Like, we believe that Jesus could do this. Why is, it, why is it not, you know, such an easy path to get to him? We believe that Jesus can and will do this for our friend, but now we can't get to there. And they could have very easily gotten discouraged and kind of turned around or maybe lost some faith. And, and for us, we can be discouraged by maybe we've been following that call. We've been doing what we're supposed to do, sharing the gospel with people, taking them into the word, sharing our testimony, praying for them, asking how we can pray for them. We've been doing our part and seemingly nothing is happening. It can be so discouraging that you're just doing this over and over, year after year, and nothing is changing. And we might want to stop and give up because of that. That's the obstacle, is just this discouragement. And I think part of the reason that that happens is we start looking at things and defining success and failure by how we would or how the world would define success and failure, and not defining those things as God would define what's successful and what's a failure. Again, we're called to take the gospel to them. If I go and I share the gospel with somebody and, you know, I, in my mind, do everything I'm supposed to do, take them to the, to the certain passages, pray for them, all these things, and they're like, yeah, I, I just don't think that's, that's for me. That's not a failure. God doesn't look and see that as a failure because what did I do? I shared the gospel. That seed has been planted. It's not always going to happen that way. It's not always going to happen right away how we would like to do it. The same way that we shouldn't define success and failure how we want to and define them as God should, that we should also understand that his timing is better than ours. And we're going to talk about that as we go on throughout this passage. But understanding that we shouldn't allow these things to discourage us. And I've mentioned before uh, that other things that can kind of discourage us and be uh, actually kind of frustrating is if we're talking to somebody, sharing the gospel with them, and they're making a connection with somebody else that they know that is a Christian, claims to be a Christian, and they have a horrible testimony. And so when I start sharing the gospel and I start talking about putting your faith in Jesus, they're immediately making their connection with that person, and now they want nothing to do with what I'm sharing with them. So that idea, that thought, that situation always makes me think and try to remind myself is that my testimony is not just my testimony. My testimony is also anybody, any other Christian who comes behind me, if I'm the only Christian, if I'm the only follower of Christ that anybody ever comes across, and then someone else comes across that says the same things, they're going to think, oh, I know Greg, he says the same things, so this person is probably pretty similar to him. So just keeping that in mind of that our testimony is not, my testimony is not just my testimony. Um, and that can be discouraging where you're sharing it with somebody and they're like, yeah, I know a bunch of Christians and I don't want anything to do with that. That can be discouraging and, ang- and uh, frustrating. It can be easy to get angry at those people like, what are you doing? Why, why, like, why are you doing this? You're, you know, you're making it difficult to, you're not being a great testimony to these people. You're not being a great example of Christ to these people. And these are things that can discourage us, make us want to give up. But this is just another obstacle that the devil is going to try and throw in our way because he doesn't want the gospel to be advanced. So don't be discouraged. And then also remembering that we don't have to do this alone. Now, I already mentioned that obviously we have God going with us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit working through us as we do this. But what I also mean by we don't have to do this alone is we have this right here. We have our church family. We have our our fellow believers. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I say, hey, I want to talk to this guy. You come with me. It could look like that. It could say, hey, there's this guy that I work with, and I I really want to share the gospel with him. I'm going to try and bring it up tomorrow at work. Could you pray for me as I'm doing that? Could you pray for this guy? However that looks, understand that we don't have to go at it alone. 
Because if we aren't recognizing that as a church, we can help each other do this because as a church, that what we're, that's what we're called to do. Okay, we've been talking, Pastor John's been going through, uh, we finished last week that series on the family. And that go, went all the way back um, to when one of our missionaries was here and said that the two institutions that God put forth to uh, advance his kingdom, advance the gospel, is the family and the church. And so as the church, we're called to advance the gospel. So if we're ignoring that fact that we have the church body, our fellow believers, to go with us, whether in person or in prayer when we're sharing with people, then when we go to do it, we can really kind of convince ourselves that we're all alone. We're out on an island having to do this by ourselves. And so that is another obstacle where we might think, I'm all alone in doing this. We need to remember that we are not alone in doing this and ignore that, that obstacle that the devil tries to throw at us that, listen, you're the only one trying to do this for this person. And we might be the only person that's physically actually sharing the gospel with them. But again, we're not alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we can have the church backing us, praying for us, going with us. So remember that you're not alone. This paralytic man, he was brought to Jesus by four men. These, these four men, it wasn't just one guy. It may have been one guy's idea, like, hey, I, Jesus, I heard Jesus over here. He's teaching. He's preaching. I want to get him over here. He gathered his three buddies, or however it worked out. They didn't go alone. It wasn't just one guy who had like, taken him with like, a fireman's carry. They got him on a little cot, and they were lowering him down. They worked together. Um, so remembering that we are not alone. And going back to what we talked about of prayer being our most powerful tool that we have, Again, we're not alone. We can pray as we're doing this. Pray, pray for God to prepare our heart as we're sharing the gospel. Pray that God would work on their heart to soften their heart to the message of the gospel. Have others pray for us. Pray for those people. Prayer is our most valuable tool. So don't let obstacles stop you. And what's our takeaway from that is it's easy to give up and walk away when things uh, in our way, when things get in our way when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. It can be easy to just give up and go home and say, I, I, I can't do it. If we're being honest, we can't do it, right, in our own ability. That's why we have to remember that we have the, God, or we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But when these obstacles, when we come to these obstacles, we need to, again, remember what Jesus has already done in our life. Think of the other obstacles that he's gotten us over or through. And remember that, again, we're trusting in the power of him. So not letting obstacles get in our way. Uh, remember that the power of the Holy Spirit is working in us to fulfill that call that we've been given, to take the gospel to the world. And we're just called to witness. We're just called to take that message to them. We're not called to save them. We don't have to worry about trying to convince them again because that's all we're called is just take that message of the gospel to them. Don't allow that obstacle of they're just not getting it. They're just not being very receptive. Again, that's another obstacle. Just continue to give that message to them. God's word is not going to go out in void. If we continue to share God's word with them, continue to share the truth with them, that seed is going to continue to be planted and continue to be cultivated. And, and God may not even use you to, to lead that person to Christ. But he's used you early on. You might not be there when they accept is what I mean. When they accept Jesus and they accept that gift of salvation, you might not be the one there. But he's used you along the way. So trust in the power of Jesus and his word. Don't allow obstacles to stop us or slow us down. Thirdly, trust that God is in control. Trust that God is in control. And we touched earlier looking at all these things that Jesus did just in this passage. And even touched a little bit on what he did before chapter 2. Um, but trusting that he's in control, we see Jesus very clearly show that God is in control. 
He makes the connection that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah, and he shows how in control he really is. So, but also think, again, from the perspective of the men who brought their friend to Jesus, because that's what we're doing. We're looking at them as our example of bringing people to Jesus, sharing Jesus with people. Put yourselves in, in their position here. The first thing that Jesus does is that he, when Jesus sees him, sees him lowered down, and Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus, obviously, he's God. He, know, he knows everything. He knows that this guy's paralyzed. Even if he couldn't, look, like, some people might look at him in the bed and be like, why is that guy in the bed? A lot of people might assume that he's probably paralyzed. You might not, but obviously, Jesus knew. But Jesus, the first thing he does is he heal, or forgives him of his sins. Now, put yourself in the, in the position of his friends. That's got to be kind of confusing and almost like, well, what are we doing this for, right? We brought him to be healed, and Jesus said, you're forgiven of your sins. So they were probably a little confused when, when that happened. But as we see throughout, as we continue to go through the passage, they later saw, um, as well as the religious leaders that were there and everybody else that was in the crowd, um, that in doing so, Jesus met his most important need. So I mentioned earlier uh, when we touched on what Jesus had done and we said that he forgave him of his sins, we were going to come back to that. What is the greatest need? What is the greatest need that all humans have? Okay, obviously, we're all in different situations. We have different specific needs for our lives, but we all have one need in common. Um, going back to uh, Warren Worsby, he says that forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and most lasting results. So, if I were to tell you, okay, read these 12 verses that we just read this morning. Read these 12 verses and tell me uh, the miracles that Jesus performed, the miracle that Jesus performed. We're all probably going to, initially, we would jump to, well, he, he healed this man. He made it to where that he could walk again. And that's true, he did do that. But the greatest miracle that ever happened is Jesus dying in our, for our sins, dying in our place, and defeating death, defeating sin, so that we can have that relationship with him. The greatest need that we have is that need for a savior, and he meets that need. He forgives us of our sins, and that is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. So what does it mean to be trusting that God is in control? Well, first of all, again, we touched on it earlier, but remembering that God's plans and God's timing is always better than our own. God's plans and God's timing is always better than our own. And again, going back to the idea of sharing our story, remembering what Jesus has done for us, we can look back and, and remember we talked about that timeline of not look back and see what God had going on there. Well, but when we were in it, we were saying, well, this needs to happen. I need to go over here first. These things need to fall in place in this order. And then when all that happens, I'll be good on the other side. And then none of that happens. And we're confused. Well, now nothing's going according to plan. Everything's falling apart. But now we can look back and see, no, everything went according to the right plan. Our plan was wrong because we're simple humans who don't know anything. But our plan was wrong. The real plan, the right plan, God's plan was correct. His timing was correct. So just as the four friends, we may not understand why things happen the way that they do or when they happen the way that they do, right? He did end up healing him, but first he forgave him of his sins. There was probably some confusion there, and they were wondering, well, why did we even come here if he wasn't going to heal him? Um, but just as them, we may not understand these things. But when we share Jesus with people, everything is going to happen in God's timing. We need to remember that. Remember that it's not always going to happen the first time we share with them. 
if it always happened the first time we share the gospel with people that they accept the gospel and they accept to get the salvation, I don't think we would be having this conversation at all. We wouldn't be saying, well, I don't know how to, I, I'm not confident in doing it. If literally every time we share the gospel with people they accepted, we'd just be doing it left and right, or we should be. If, it, if it's just that easy, but it's not that case because God knows that person's life. God knows that person's heart. And he knows that it's not always going to happen that first time. And that, again, we're, we need to make sure that when we look at these situations, when we're sharing the gospel with them, we're defining success as God would define success. So God's planning, plans and timing are always greater than our own. And again, also remember that we do not save people. Okay, we talked before about how we don't need to convince them. We don't need to sweeten the gospel, the message of the gospel. We don't need to try to lure them over and say, just, just trust me. It's really great. It's awesome to, to follow after Jesus. We don't have to do that. We're not the ones to save them. Sometimes we do that, and when we, when we put that on ourselves, that's an enormous weight, an enormous burden, where I'm thinking, man, I'm a failure because they're not getting it. They're not accepting salvation. They're not accepting Jesus. And that's my fault because I need to make sure that they come to know Jesus. We do that a lot where we put that on ourselves, but that's an unnecessary weight, an unnecessary burden that we're putting on ourselves. And when we give that over to Jesus, when we give that over to God, that he's the one with the saving power, that right there in and of itself, if we were to take away everything else we've already talked about this morning and just said, just give it over to Jesus to be the one to save and just give them the message that gives, takes so much weight off our shoulders, gives so much relief, just understanding all I have to do is just share with them. And that's really the focal point of all of this is just we don't save these people. We don't have to do that. These guys didn't try to fix their friend on their own. They didn't try to heal him on their own. They knew going all the way back, they knew that he had a need. They were concerned for him and wanted to see him helped. And they trusted that Jesus could and would save their friend. So that's really what it boils down to is recognizing the need that everybody without Jesus has and trusting because if he's saved me, I know that he can save anybody, right? None of us are better or worse than, than each other. We are all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we fall short of the glory of God. And so we all need Jesus. So if I had faith that Jesus was able to save me, I need to have faith that he's going to save these people that I share him with. I don't have to try and, and save them. Again, remember our own story. How did I come to know Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? When you were saved, was it somebody strong-arming you and convincing you and you know, really trying to, to, to sell you on some kind of product? Or was them just sharing the gospel with you and you recognizing through the truth of the word that you needed a Savior because you were a sinner? So again, remembering that we do not save people. And then thirdly, submit to the saving power of Jesus and the wisdom of the Spirit. So as we remember that we don't save people, we're remembering that Jesus does. And we're submitting to his saving power. And we're submitting to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as we're going through these things. As every step of the way, remember, prayer is our most valuable tool as we're going along this. And as we're praying, we're communicating with God, asking God to have the Holy Spirit work through me, to speak through me. Uh, remembering that we're just called to deliver the message. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What I love about that verse, and so many verses, and just sometimes just reading a singular verse, you're reminded of God's wisdom and, and knowledge, and he knows way better than we would. 
Just the order of how that verse goes. He doesn't start off by, you, need to, you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That part isn't first. First, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, he says, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So because you have the power of the Holy Spirit working and living through you, that makes us able to then go be these witnesses that he's calling us to be. Okay, He's not asking us to go do it, and then once we do that, then we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to be these witnesses that he calls us to be. So pray that God would give you wisdom. Pray for the heart of the lost and ask fellow believers to pray, as we've already talked about. When we're understanding and just submitting to his power and seeking that wisdom of the Holy Spirit, God, give me words to, to speak when I share with this person. Just give me the wisdom to always turn direction back to you, to always give glory back to you. And we mentioned earlier about how sometimes we might not know where to take somebody in the word. We might not know exactly where the verse is, or we might not know an answer to a question that they have. I think that's probably another big obstacle that we might be concerned we might run into. Sometimes we do run into it, but a lot of times we reason with ourselves, well, I'm not going to share with them because I might not know an answer that they, or an answer to a question that they have. It's okay to not always have the answer, right? Because I think we can all admit that we don't always have the answer. That's why we need to submit to God's wisdom. But it's okay to even admit to that person that you don't have the answer to that question right now. Because that in and of itself, by admitting I don't have it all figured out, is showing that I am still a work in progress. Yes, when I asked Jesus to, to be my Savior, I was saved right then and there. And because of that, I am saved forever. But as I grow closer to him, as I continue to, be, uh, continue to become sanctified in him, become more and more like him, then you see what I'm saying? We're showing them that it, it's, it's, you're still growing as you're going throughout it. So that right there should show them that, because sometimes people, when, when you're sharing the gospel with them, they might think they have a, a, a wrong understanding of what the gospel is or what the Bible is, and they might think, well, I'm not quite ready for it. They think, I need to get to a certain point. I need to get to a certain level. And once I get to here, once I cut these certain things out of my life, then I can accept. No, it, it, we, we show that by saying I don't have all the answers, we show that we can be saved right here and now, right how we are. And as we do that, we're, again, submitting to the power of God, submitting to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So it's okay to tell somebody that you, you don't know all the answers, um, but you'd like to look into it, research it, ask other people, and get back to them with an answer. Because that also shows your care. It shows them that you care about them enough to, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer to that question. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to research it. And I'm going to get back to you with an answer. That shows them that, you, okay, he's not just doing this because he feels he has to. He's doing this because he genuinely cares about me. Okay? So, submitting to the saving power of Jesus and the wisdom of the Spirit. Or take away from that, from the idea of trusting God, that God is in control, is that, again, it's easy to feel that pressure when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. Maybe we think that they're going to look at us and say, well, I don't match this, you know, what I, I don't look how I should, I don't act how I should. Uh, and, and we can put all this kind of pressure on ourselves. I need to save them. I'm, I'm, I'm not a good enough example for them to look at me when I'm sharing the gospel with them. We can add all this added pressure. And all that is doing is that, again, we're kind of putting these own obstacles in, in our way. We're kind of setting these obstacles up so that we then don't have to go share the gospel. But if we continually remember that we just need to continue to seek his power, his wisdom, his ability, because that's what we need to do each and every day in our personal life, in our personal walk with him. I can't get throughout the day without 
seeking God's wisdom, without seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, just to live each and every day. It's the same way when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. So if I can't get throughout the day just myself without seeking his wisdom and his power, I need to accept the fact that I can't get through sharing the gospel or bringing people to Jesus without that as well. So, and sometimes bringing the people to Jesus is just that. Maybe, and I try to encourage the students as, as, as much as possible, and our leaders do as well, of just in, invite your friends. Invite your friends to come out. Okay, we, we have, you know, the students, we have different activities and things where you don't even have to say, hey, can, you want to come to church with me. Sometimes it's, hey, you want to come? We just, uh, a week or so ago, we had a bonfire. An impact on them. We're able to just, hey, just come hang out with me for a few hours and bring them to church. Whatever, however that looks, we don't, sometimes bringing people to Jesus is just bringing them here. Okay? And then they can, we can allow the Holy Spirit to work through them in that way. So when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, we're called to do just that, is just bring people to Jesus. When, if, if, if somebody says to me, hey, how do you witness to somebody? How do you share the gospel with somebody? How do you bring people to Jesus? It's literally just that. Just introduce them to Jesus. We're called to do just that. Bring them to him. Uh, if we're to be witnesses, if we're going to be the witnesses that we're called to be, we need to trust in the power of Jesus and trust in the power of his word. If I'm trying to do this on my own, I'm trying to go out and, sa- and save these people in my own ability. If I'm trying to even just share a message with them in my own ability, in my own wisdom, I'm not going to be the witness I've been called to be. Because we just read in Acts 1.8, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to be this witness. So we need to trust in the power of Jesus and his word. Uh, and we, we can't let these obstacles get in our way, stop us or slow us down in, when it comes to sharing the gospel. Just because an obstacle is there does not change the, miss- the mission. Just because something gets in our way doesn't mean, well, now I don't have to share the gospel with this person because, you know, things are kind of hindering that from happening. We don't see that in in, in any of the Bible at all. We don't see that in the Great Commission. No, he just says, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay, there's no stipulations as to when you can or can't. We just continually go, continually share the gospel, no matter what the obstacles are. And we must always remember that God is in control. So how do we apply these things to, to our lives? How do I apply these things to my life by looking at the example of these four men? As I mentioned before, we could easily find books, resources. There's all kinds of actually amazing resources. Um, there's an app where there's an app that I have where I can put somebody's name in uh, that that I'm witnessing to, that I'm praying for for salvation, and all different kinds of you know tools of passages to take them to, but then also reminders of hey, pray for this person. Each and every day, you know, sends a notification. There's so many great tools like that that can help us. But as we're doing that, remember that these tools, again, they're great, but it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to his word. As we're using these things, use them just as that. Use them as these vehicles, if you want to think of that way, these vehicles to help us take the gospel of these people. These vehicles to help us bring people to Jesus. The people in Mark 2, they weren't drawn to that house. They weren't drawn to that, that meeting because they had the newest everything. They didn't have, because they had all the flashies, whatever. Um, they were drawn to that house because of Jesus. They were drawn there because of what they had heard that he had been doing. They had been drawn there because of what he had been teaching. That was the only reason that they were drawn there was because of Jesus. Read in verse 1 again in chapter 2. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. I love that phrase in there, by the way. It was noised that he was in the house. Basically, people proclaimed, hey, Jesus is over here. In verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together. That was it. They had, all they had heard that Jesus was in the house, 
and I'm going. So they didn't come there for all these fancy things, whatever it was. They literally just came here because of Jesus. So they, they had seen, some of them had already seen, some of them had heard what he'd been doing, and they came to just see Jesus. So that's what we need to focus on. That's what we always need to bring our minds back to, is that the power of Jesus and his word is enough. We don't need to add things. We don't need to do things. It, it's not on us or our own ability. It's all just on the power of Jesus and his word. So when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, let's not complicate things. Let's do just that and bring people to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for just allowing us to look into your word and see this example of these four men who brought their friend to come see you. They brought him to you so that you would heal them. They knew that you had the ability. They knew that you had the power to heal their friend. And they believed that you would. And they brought them to you. And God, I, uh, for those of us here who have already accepted the gift of salvation, who know the truth of the gospel, we know what you are capable of. We know that you can save us, that you've saved us of our sins. And we know that you can save anybody of their sins. There's no sin. There's nothing that we can do to make us unsavable, to make us um, to, where, where the gospel doesn't affect us. There's nothing that we can do uh, to get to that point. You can save anybody. So, God, I pray that we would model ourselves after these four men who brought their friend to you and just trust in you and your power and the power of your word and just be that vessel. Just be that vessel who brings the message to them. And, God, I pray as we go into a time of invitation that we would all maybe take a look at ourselves, that we would uh, take some time to reflect and say, God, is, is there anything that I'm trying to take on myself? Am I trying to save this person in my own ability? Am I trying to save them in my own power? Am I trying to convince them of the gospel? Or am I really just taking the message to them? God, I pray also for those of us who maybe we have a person uh, on our heart. When we started talking about this idea of sharing the gospel with people, of bringing people to Jesus, uh, maybe some of us had a specific name that came to mind, God. I pray that we would, first of all, just give that person over to you, that we would uh, give them over to you in your power, that we would pray for them, that we, uh, we would allow you to work on their hearts, that you would give us the wisdom to share with those people that you, that you laid on our hearts. I pray, God, that we would also not try to do this alone, that we would come to our church, our church family, our fellow believers, ask for prayer. God, just as we go throughout all of this, wherever we stand in this situation, if, if, if we are trying to witness to somebody and don't know how, if we have somebody laid on our heart, I pray that in all these circumstances that we would just continually go back to you and have you be the main focus. And God, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would understand that Jesus is all that they need. That it doesn't matter what else they, they have in their life, that, that these things can be great. They're only going to bring temporary happiness. And, and God, I pray that we would understand that as followers of Christ, that just because we are followers of you does not mean that things are going to be easy. Sharing the gospel isn't going to be easy. You told the disciples that because they're followers of you, they will be persecuted. So God, I pray that we would understand that the truth of the gospel isn't that things are always going to be great and awesome when we are when we have accepted you, but God, that no matter the circumstance that we have, whether it's great or bad, the circumstance, that we are good, that we are happy, that we do have joy because we have all that we need in you. So God, I pray as we just continue to go in this time of invitation that you would just continue to uh, speak to us, that we would open our hearts, that you would reveal to anybody in our life that, that, that you would have us witness to specifically, God. But God, I pray that we would, uh, all of us as followers of you, as, as Christians, 
Be more aware. Be more alert. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with people that we come in contact with, wherever that may be, and that we would just continually submit to you and just bring people to Jesus. I pray that you just bless the time of uh, invitation that we have and uh, in this time of worship. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.